I'm Tyler Miller, and you're listening to Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and your friend and mine callum williams is here of course before we get into the nitty-gritty of an exciting penalty shootout and what a matchup with san jose will look like we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota federated insurance and m health fairview we really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us through the MLS's back tournament and as we all figure out what the rest of the season might look like. If you want to learn about any of those partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Callum Williams, do you like samurai? What? <laughs> you know, samurai, like the Japanese guys with the katanas and, you know, like feudal Japan. Are you a, um, a samurai? Well, I'm aware of them. I don't know if I, I'm not supposed to like them. I think so. I don't know. Do you have you watched samurai movies like this is this the Seven Samurai or any any of that fun stuff? I'm I'm sure I have Steve, but I'll be totally <laughs> honest. It's been the mindset for some time. Samurais. Okay. All right. All right. I'm asking. I've been playing this video game called uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is out for the the, the PlayStation Four and other platforms. And uh, uh, this is not a. I'm not sponsored by. Uh, uh, whatever the company that made it is, I can't even remember what the company. Um, they've got a funny name, Sucker Punch. Um, but uh, it lets you play as a samurai in sort of uh, feudal Japan, and it's very it's very steeped in the samurai mythology, and it's a thing that I was into when I was growing up, and so I appreciate the uh, the game is very fun. It's it, I like in in my my dotage here in video game playing when I have no reactions and no capability of having dexterity in my hands. I put games on the easiest difficulty and then I can just do what I want and not really be challenged or just turn my brain off for a little while. So if anybody out there likes Samurais, I highly recommend, I don't know, I thought it was Samurai was the plural, but maybe it's Samurais. This is a really a question for a copy editor, which is what I am, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I highly recommend this game. If you like, you know, uh, swords and, and, and cutting people in half, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a time. I think I've seen a couple of commercials for uh, for it. It was a highly anticipated game, wasn't it? It's, it's beautiful. That's the other thing is that it's really. It, I think that's the thing is it, it's this is towards the end of the PS4's lifespan because the PS5 is coming out and I, I think it's supposed to come out around the holidays. And uh, it just looks it looks like next gen. It looks beautiful. It's the the landscape is beautiful. They sort of you go through these forests of like golden trees where all these leaves are raining down and. There's a beautiful photo mode where you can stop the action and sort of change the filters and like all this stuff like that. So it's done with a very loving attention to detail. And so it's, it's a fun world to be in uh, and a fun place to, you know, kill bandits and do all the stuff that you would do as a samurai. So, <laughs> you know, I, I've, um, to be honest, Steve, I haven't properly played, you know, video games of that sort for a long, long time. And, and, um, but when you mention sort of the, the beauty and, and the, what seems like a, a new look for a lot of video games. Um, the, the one that springs to mind that, that I last sort of gave a really good go at uh, and had a really good go at was, was a while ago. And it was when, do you remember when, um, when the new series of Metal Gear Solid came out? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I, I can't remember what year it was, but um, I remember I was I was young at that stage, and uh, I always enjoyed um, the Metal Gear series for sure. Um, but as I said, I, I don't I don't um, play many games. The only the only game that I sort of play right now, um, and I don't really even consider it a game because it's not one where you've got a joystick and you've you know you're slashing people up in half or whatever. You know, uh, I find it quite therapeutic and, and quite educational. Uh, it's Football Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because uh, it obviously, um, I, I get exposed to a lot of different players around the world that I wouldn't in in um, in the circumstances where we're covering one league in Major League Soccer. So, um, as I said, it, it technically is a game, um, but I, I don't really view it as a game. It's strange, and and um, as I said, I, I do find it quite handy actually. Um, just being becoming aware, you know, I don't get all my information from Football Manager, but I I become aware of a couple of players, and then. You know, it's up to you then to go and do your further research on them. But um, yeah, that, that's the only real video game or game of any sort that I can um, really recall playing recently. And uh, again, yeah, so for those of you who are looking to, to further educate yourself in the footballing world, Football Manager is a very good way of doing that. I think you've recommended Football Manager before on the podcast, and and it's um, I definitely see the appeal. It's it's one of those things that when I got into sports, just overall one of the main ways I got into it was through video games because I found it really fun to like, I like basketball. And so I was, I, you know, I got the first NBA 2k and I didn't really know anything about basketball beyond liking Allen Iverson at the time. Um, I sort of not paid that much attention to it, but I really liked Iverson. And so I started playing as the Sixers and then I was like, I learned about like Matt Geiger and these other guys who nobody remembers now because Iverson was the only player who was really worth anything on the Sixers uh, that season. But you know, uh, Tyrone Hill, George Lynch, um, Larry Hughes, like all these players. And then as I would play other teams, I'd be like, that guy's cool. And then I would use that team and I would play with that guy. And you sort of, you know, you, you, something appeals about a player and then it sort of brings you into learning more about them as an actual player maybe watching them on TV and, you know, watching their team. And then maybe you get into that team. So it is a, it's a very good like entryway to get in and getting into sports period and then getting into things, elements of the sport you might not know about. Yeah. I've heard, uh, so many times, Steve, from American soccer fans that the way that they got into the sport was playing FIFA, the video game. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and so look, I mean, if that's the way that, that this sport is going to grow and this league is going to grow in this country, uh, if it's one of the ways, uh, then then so be it. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all. And um, uh, from, from memory, it's a very good game as well. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about uh, real world soccer. Let's talk about the, the Columbus crew. Uh, Minnesota United obviously eliminating the Columbus crew from uh, the MLS's back tournament in the knockout stage or the round of 16. This is the thing I can't, so all the stages from here on in are knockout stages, right? Yes. So, but like, so like the, the round of 16 stage was not like the knockout stage. It was like, we have now advanced to knockout stages and this is the round of 16. Correct. It's a knockout stage. It's a knockout stage. I, I, I went back and forth on what I was calling it, I think, in various huh. uh, pieces of literature because it was a little confusing. So anyways, um, so let me say this. Let me do my opening statement on the crew. Without sort of knocking the crew as a team, I really like the crew. Actually, I think Caleb Porter's done a great job. They're fun. They're fun to watch. Darlington Nagby looks great. Um, I like them a lot in the Eastern Conference. I think they were a little bit of a paper tiger coming out of the group stage because I think the the three wins and the three clean sheets um, flattered them, not to the sense that they weren't playing well. They really handled their business, and obviously teams can collapse um, in any kind of situation. But, like, 
none of those opponents were really ready to play. Like we know FC Cincinnati is still very much a work in progress. Red Bulls New York is still sort of figuring out identity in a lot of ways. Um, and then Atlanta United just looked god awful, like just not prepared to play. So I sort of felt like the, I mean, obviously I think, you know, Adrian Heath used some of that reputation to sort of galvanize his players, this idea that everybody thinks Columbus Crew is going to win it all now. But, you know, if you look at like 538, um, a, a website that does a lot of sort of analytics and statistics based stuff, they were looking at, you know, predictions and chances. It was about like a 50-50 between Minnesota United and, and, and Columbus at that stage, uh, based on things going farther back than just the results from the group stage. And I, I sort of feel like that's that's sort of true to how the game actually played out, it sort of seems like. Yeah, first of all, I think Adrian Heath, um, whilst he, he gained a lot of the attention himself by the comments that he made, um, you know, before the game, saying we, we won't even bother turning up because the crew are going to win it and, and whatever it was he said. I thought it was very good, actually, because it took the, took the pressure off his players. Um, and then Caleb Porter saw exactly what he was doing and refocused the attention on the players. But um, look, the main thing that, that Minnesota did very well on the evening, Steve, was that they limited the service from the centre of midfield. Mm-hmm. Darlington, Knightley and Artur, no doubt, had, had an abundance of possession, but they weren't able to do much with it. There were so many times, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but from, from memory, there were so many times when a pass was cut off by Nagby or Artur, I thought Asani Dotson was a bundle of energy and, and really stopped a lot of that service. I thought Ozzy Alonso was fantastic again on the evening. Um, and what it did is it, is it allowed when Minnesota had the ball in the centre uh, through Jan Grigish, it allowed him to, to be a little more attacking-minded because Asani Dotson was essentially um, the busiest bee in the hive, if you will, and just um, buzzing around and stopping... Uh, as many passes as he could uh, and when he couldn't get there Ozzy Alonso was there to read the play and, and, and they did it so many times um, and, and look uh, Darlington Nagby came off Darlington Nagby was pulled in the 75th minute because the crew knew at that stage we've got to try something different because we can't do this right now um, and obviously it, it, it worked with them getting a goal eventually but um, look, I, I, I thought Minnesota deserved all the credit that they have gotten and they will continue to get moving forward. Um, it, it's, it's obvious that the crew were, were, were a team in form coming into this and there's a lot to be said for when you're in form and you're confident because little things tend to go your way as well. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was a really respectable result and, um, you know, I'm not saying the crew were bad. I thought the crew were, were decent on the evening. Um, and Minnesota got the lock of the draw through the penalty kicks. Um, but I, I thought Minnesota, as Caleb Porter identified quite rightly, were the most difficult um, team that, that the crew uh, came up against in the tournament, and, and vice versa, really, from a Minnesotan point of view. Um, so I thought it was perhaps the... It was certainly the most entertaining game that Minnesota have, have played uh, so far. Uh, from a neutral standpoint, I thought it was a, a cracking game to call. Um, and uh, look, I, I think ultimately, uh, you know, on reflection, Minnesota probably just about deserved the results. And um, as I said, now I think, now it'll be interesting the approach moving forward, Steve, because I, I don't think now Minnesota can claim to be underdogs anymore. I think that that tag has now abolished itself because of what they did to the crew. Um, I don't expect any, any different approach moving forward. But um, it, it will be interesting to see now how Minnesota are viewed over the course of, um, of the next games, uh, should they get into the, the following rounds after the quarterfinals. 
Yeah, the um, I, again, I think Adrian Heath's game plan was was spot on uh, for this and that approach of, you know, if you look at the crew, um, as opposed to some teams that are going to uh, sort of high press you and try to turn the ball over and they're the, you know, your third, um, the crew are really more built around moving the ball around that midfield and sort of trying to draw uh, the opponent into spots where they have to try to commit to get the ball back and then attacking into those spaces uh, that are created through it. I mean, I think Caleb Porter said as much on the broadcast. He basically was, when he was interviewed, he said that they need to overload Alonzo and they get into those spaces. Um, but it seems like Heath really wanted a lot of defensive discipline and shape of the team. And he really got it. You know, you know, Ozzy was amazing out there not getting pulled this way and that it was, it was interesting because it was the same nominally it was a four, three, three, um, that was, the, I mean, it was a four, three, three, but you know, that's what they ran out against Colorado, but it played very differently. Whereas Colorado was much more like a, a two number eights with sort of Hassani and Jan that way. Hassani was sort of this, uh, free safety role, you know, out there, you know, he's sort of offensively kind of a false 10 or something sort of sitting behind those front three, but mostly it seemed like his role was, as you said, sort of defensively to hound Darlington Nagby to keep any pass from being easy um, to sort of be out there and, and break things up. And he did, a, you know, a great job um, of that. I, like a lot of people, I am often guilty of paying more attention to how a team works offensively than defensively. I sort of will watch the game and see what they're trying to do on offense. But going back and, you know, looking at the game again, the Minnesota defense was uh, was really quite excellent and will definitely be a thing to watch going forward, especially against, you know, San Jose going into the next round, say. Yeah, I thought, again, Boxall and Ahar were, were very, very good. I thought Ahar was was really good up until the, the moment he gave away a penalty, which I think was a, a rush of blood to the head, perhaps, from him. It wasn't his finest moment in um, in his career so far. But look, apart from that, I, I thought he, he hardly put a foot wrong at all. And um, as Michael Boxall said prior to the game, um, he's been very impressed and, and described him as outstanding. So, And, and I think that's appropriate praise, to be honest, Steve. I think a lot of people were very worried coming into the tournament because of the absence of Ico Parra, and quite rightly so, they should have been. But it, it's a credit to, to the roster that Minnesota have put together this year that you know somebody like Aha comes in as essentially a third-choice centre-back, whereas... I don't think I'm, I'm being disrespectful saying this. Um, in previous years, he probably would have been a starting caliber centre for Minnesota United, um, and, and I think he, I think he still would be right now for a lot of MLS teams. Um, I think there'd, there'd be several that would be glad to have him. So um, it's uh, it, it says a lot about the roster that's been put together. I think uh, Aha has been very good. I think Boxall has, has been exceptional as well. Um, Gasper has been disciplined. Mittenier has been great. I'm intrigued to see if he plays a part in the next game. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, as I said, I, I thought the back line were about as, uh, as solid as they, as they have been. Um, but a lot of that as well uh, goes to the persistence of Ozzy Alonso just ahead of them as well, who I thought was magnificent on the evening. Yeah, Aha, uh-huh, I think, has been very good overall. And I think, as Boxel said, has, has been outstanding at times. That Yeah, that was an Ill, ill-timed, not good challenge, not a good decision to go for it. But, um, you know, again, in terms of filling in for a defender of the year in Icopara has been has been terrific. Um, I think also it's worth shouting out uh, Robin Lud with, you know, his, his scoring in the 18th minute because that was – that was really huge because, again, because of the crew's style, which has been to sort of draw the other team in and then push past them, 
when they have to play on the back foot like that, when they have to play down a goal, that's a lot harder because then they have to become a more aggressive team, which is not exactly, I mean, the crew can be aggressive, but it's, it's not the same as you see in like LAFC or something like that. So, um, and that was, it was great. You know, you saw Lud hit the, the ball in with his head, get it back and then not make a mistake with his foot there. And he's had a couple go begging so far in this tournament. And I think that, um, you know, he's obviously a tremendously skilled player. And as, as Adrian Heath has said, like anybody on the team who's, you know, with him when he's practicing knows that he's got it. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of being able to get in those positions and then and finish those chances. And, and he, did, he did on the night, which was, uh, which was huge for the team going forward. Yeah, I think with uh, Robin Lord as well is is he's got to still get used to the, the pace of Major League Soccer as well. It's been a strange old year for him as we... Uh, alluded to on on our radio broadcast, and you know we we said, look, I mean, coming into to the club when he did, it was strange because he'd come off of a, a three week vacation, um, you know, and, and straight away he'd been asked to do a lot, which is difficult after three weeks of not doing not doing a lot. Um, his wife then had a baby, uh, and you know, plus the um, the the task of of moving not only yourself but your family across the ocean as well. Believe me, I can speak from experience. It's 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 tough. It can be difficult uh, adapting and also adapting to a new culture for him as well. So, um, you know, I, I think the settling in period has now probably passed for him. Um, but we then had to take into consideration the, the situation the world is undergoing at the moment as well. It, it won't be normal for him. So, um, and, and I know I probably sound like I'm making excuses for him now, but um, I, we're, we're fortunate, Steve. We have seen him in training. We've seen what he's capable of doing. Um, you know, I think it's up for debate whether or not he's more comfortable in a 10 role as opposed to two out wide. Um, but he, he, he's shown on several occasions now that he has something. He's shown us glimpses for sure. Um, I, I must admit, I think um, I, I personally, for the game against the crew, I personally would have started Raheem Edwards. I think Raheem has done enough to, to warrant an opportunity. Um, but at the same time then as well, you know, we can see what Robin Lerr does on the defensive side of the ball as well. So um, it just seems to work right right now in in, in the sense of, we you know, when, when Robin Lerr tucks inside, Gasper has a whole host of space to manoeuvre into. Um, and, and I just think it's OK. Um, I'm not saying it's great at the moment with Lerr, but it's OK. It's it's doing enough. Um, and I'm interested to see what, what happens moving forward. But... Um, you know, he played his part defensively as well and, and, and there were so many times when, when when he would tuck inside and, and win the ball back and everything as well. And and as I said, look, it caused a real problem for the crew because, you know, whilst whilst they um, the majority of, of their service came from out wide because I think Zala Rajan was um, a little isolated on, on the evening as well, more than likely courtesy of, of Ozzy Alonso um, and, uh, and Dotson um, stopping the ball getting to him. Um, no doubt the ball got to him on, on several occasions, as, as it did out wide. But when that they came off, they, they didn't go through the centre at all. They had to go out wide um, when Chris Cadden came on. And they had to go out wide. And, um, you know, again, I, I thought there were, there were all sorts of issues for the crew that they couldn't, um, they couldn't break Minnesota down. Um, but look, I mean, in terms of, in terms of Lerd getting the goal, it'll, it'll be another weight off his shoulder because, you know, he, he, he says he, he doesn't look at, Twitter and doesn't look at what the newspapers and whatever and the fans are saying and all that kind of stuff but it'll be difficult not to down there Steve because you've got a lot of time on your hands um, so I can't imagine 
individuals not having a little peek just to see what people are saying. And, and, and so far, to my knowledge, it's not, it's not been particularly pleasant. So I think the goal that he scored will, will be a huge weight off of his shoulders. Um, and hopefully he can build on it moving forward. Yeah, the, the situation with Robin Lood in some ways reminds me a little bit of, you know, you're talking about making making excuses. And I was like, I don't want to say that, you know, without those things, that things would have necessarily been been better. I don't necessarily think he's one of these, I don't think he's going to, he's not supposed to score, you know, 20 goals or, or maybe even necessarily 10 goals in this season. But again, I think his, there's a lot of value he provides um, in terms of tucking in and controlling the game. He gives you a look on the wing that's not necessarily the speedy winger look it's more of a controlling winger look and he's somebody who can play the 10 things like that it reminds me a little bit of um situation that the Timberwolves were in with uh one of my favorite basketball players Thaddeus Young who came to the team um uh I mean he was with the team for one year and he basically is you know he's an undersized power forward who's uh, a decent three-point shot uh he's a lefty uh he can be very good defensively um he's kind of the definition of a tweener. He's sort of between a small forward and a, and a, and a power forward um, and could have been really good, I think, with the Wolves. Um, then they went through a whole bunch of injuries and suddenly, rather than being like the third option out there, he was the main vet. Everybody else was a rookie or a sophomore and that was sort of a tough position for him to be in because he's not a guy who can sort of lead with his play. He needs to be a complimentary player and could be really good doing that. And then partway through the season, his, his mother passed away. Uh, he dealt with that. Um, and like his family wasn't super settled in Minnesota. His wife wasn't a huge fan of, of, of Minnesota overall. And it was tough for me because he had been one of my favorite players for a couple of years and he came to the wolves and I'm like, this is going to be great. And then there's just some like extenuating circumstances that made that transition not work. And he ended up leaving the team. The thing with Lloyd is that, like you said, I think last night they were like, he's only got, well, not last night, but when the, at the game against Columbus, the announcers were saying he only has, you know, three goals so far in MLS. I'm like, well, he came partway through last season and this season got interrupted halfway through it. And as you said, he came from a layoff and his wife had a baby. And I'm like, I think if he sticks, if he sticks, and I think Adrian Heath has a lot of faith in him, which is good. You know, I think he's going to show results, but it, it might just take a little bit longer than everybody out there, their wants. So I just would ask for patience from you know the fan base with Lloyd. Yeah, I think, do you know what? And I would encourage people, if they have an answer to this, to, to please tweet at me because I, I would be willing and, and wanting to have this discussion. I'm really curious as to what the expectation is for Robin Lurd. So um, for those of you listening, I, I, I would like that question answered um, because uh, right now I, I don't know if I know that answer. Um, so I'd be interested to see what the fan base thinks. So uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to have that conversation for sure. Sure, sure. All right, let's talk about the shootout. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure this was the first penalty shootout the Loons have been involved in since the team joined MLS. Does that feel right? No, because it was the, um, from an MLS standpoint, yes, but um, you have to remember the Open Cup in 2018 against Cincinnati, um, which, um, yeah, exactly. So Minnesota uh, played the then USL team, FC Cincinnati, and I think it was the fourth round of the Open Cup, I believe. Uh, and, and obviously won on, on penalties. I, I think it was Brent Coleman that evening scored the, the decisive penalty. That's right. To send that's them right. But, but either way, in, in terms of you know um, an MLS team, yes, it's the first time they played an MLS team in a penalty shootout for sure. Okay, I was I wasn't sure about that. I've uh, I've been doing the the. Uh, Minnesota United match day Twitter account during the games. And uh, as we were coming up and it was making, it was becoming clear that a penalty shootout was going to happen. I was panicking because it was a format for 
giving that information I had never <laughs> had to deal with before. But maybe that just speaks to me not doing the match day Twitter uh, and not being as experienced as, as our buddy TJ Galenchin. Shout out to TJ. He did an amazing job with that account. Um, we miss him. We miss him dearly. So um, let's talk about the shootout, though. It was interesting given the number of um, subs in the game, uh, you know, that they have down in Orlando uh, and how they were you ended up you ended up lacking some of those top line cho- top line choices for PKs uh, on both sides. You know, Zardis being out by that point. Um, I mean, I don't know how Nagby is as a as a shooter, but you would think, you know, with uh, he would be one of your choices there. Amarillo is out. Hassani Dotson, who probably want to take a penalty from farther away than he than he normally would, if, uh, given his skills with those with those long shots. But you were missing some of those first choice players, which it was kind of fun because you ended up with like you know Chase Gasper being the guy on the line, like your your left back to to finish off the the penalties, which was kind of fun. Yeah, I was surprised when Gasper stepped up actually because it it was um, the um the defining penalty, wasn't it, to, to send Minnesota through? And I, I must admit, I, I was quite surprised. But um, not at all taken back when Alonso stepped forward for the opening penalty. You know, you want to go with experience there. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron Schoenfeld obviously was confident enough. He would have wanted to take one against his former former team. Um, you know, Jan Gregus is one of the best um, strikers of the ball that the team has. So that wasn't a surprise either. So, you know, it was... Um, it was just it was it was intriguing to see some of the choices. I think um, Stuart Kerr made this point on our match recap show, which you can find on MNUFC.com. Um, Andrew Tarbell, the, the goalkeeper for the crew, uh, ironically formerly of San Jose, um, he seemed to to make decisions very early. He seemed to go down very early, and and if memory serves me right, Steve, he went low right the majority of the time, um, if not maybe all of the time. Four um, times, four times in a row. He went left on the Aussies and Aussie went straight. Um, but yeah, he went to his three four times in a row, which was really interesting. I, I thought it was a bit baffling, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. Um, and look, penalties are, are so difficult because it, it's a lot of it is psychological. Uh, a lot of it is preparation. Um, but... You know, as I said, Stuart Kerr made the point of when he spoke to Tyler Miller, he said, look, you know, this is what we've done. This is the, the preparation. We've gone through this already as a staff with you. This is what we think is going to happen. This is what the data shows that this person's going to go this way. So we've given you what we think, but I want you to make the decision, which I think is quite important because as a goalkeeper in that situation, you must have so much going on in your head. And essentially, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a guess, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I thought the fact that Miller made the save that he did was, um, um, you know, props to, to him for, for making the save. It was a, a decent save from, from what I can remember. But um, it's, uh, I, I, I just, I couldn't imagine being in that situation as a goalkeeper. Um, there would be so much going through your head, you know. Um, and uh, But look, hey, look, in the end, Minnesota obviously um, was able to get the ball past um Asked uh, the goalkeeper for the crew uh, enough. Um, I just thought it. I, I just personally thought, from a personal observation, that he he, he was um, he was committing a, just a, a split second too early, and I don't think I was the only person that, that noticed that. Yeah, it was uh, for my money. It was really nice to see Chase 
get that chance to ice it because he's he's one of those guys who's um, super humble. If you talk to him, if anybody's had the chance to interact with him, I know I have fans, I have friends who are fans who have gotten to be at events where he is, and you know, obviously not not at this point in time with with everything that's going on out there. But you know, he'll shake everybody's hand every time we interview him. You know, he he shakes everybody's hands. He's super nice um, and very humble, but he's also like really driven to be that guy for the team, not so much for his personal glory, but I know how much he wants to win and he wants to win for the team. I, it reminded me of how, um, when the team was, uh, when the team lost to the galaxy in the playoffs, uh, last season, I believe he was the man of the match, uh, for that game and did a great job. Um, and they were giving him the man of the match trophy or the banner or whatever to hold. And he looked like someone had just killed his puppy. Like he, he was just so, he was like, had won the man of the match, but he was so unhappy to have lost that game. And so to give him the chance to sort of get to be that guy a little bit and, and win the game, I thought was, uh, was, was really great. Yeah, it's good. He, he, I think he probably needed a little lift as well because um, I think Chase has steadily improved over the course of the last few games, but I, I don't think he had a great start to the season at all. Um, so I, I think it was a, a good opportunity to give himself a bit of a lift. So, um, and look again, I, I thought he was decent against the crew. Um, he didn't do much wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was um, more than adequate and, and, and did well. So, um, Chase Gas was a good left back. Um, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, just just what what his role is with the club moving forward. Um, you know, in terms of because he's, he's got a lot of lot of. Um, eyeballs uh, from the national team as well. Obviously, he got his first cap, didn't he, in February? And uh, I, th- I think Greg Verhalter is a fan. Um, so I just wonder, you know, he's, he's got a, a workmanlike ethic that, that I haven't really seen before. He's a, a bulldog, he's a terrier, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a good player. Look, I, I like him a lot. Um, and, and as I said, I was, I was happy for him that he was the one who scored the decisive penalty. But doesn't mean I wasn't surprised that he was the one to take it. But hey, sure. he scored it, doesn't matter. <laughs> The last thing I want to talk about, which is a little bit broader topic, uh, but coming off this game, uh, Minnesota had 35.5% possession in this game. Um, Against Colorado, they had 55.4, which is high. Uh, Against RSL, 44.4. Against SKC, 37.7. Before the MLS's back tournament, against San Jose, they had 37.8. And against Portland, they had 42.5, which is interesting because, again, this is a thing that we know that Adrian Heath overall would prefer to play with the ball, would prefer to, um, you know, I mean, most coaches, I think, generally feel like it's better to have more of the ball and that allows you to dictate the game in a different way. But, um, you know, like, I'm just sort of curious, like, at what point do you sort of say, this is the, this is the identity of this team? Like, and, you know, like, is it detrimental at some point to try to force it to be something other than a team that defends really well and then can hit on the break and score on set pieces and things like that? I mean, obviously every coach wants more and based on, you know, things that might happen in the future with players, like maybe that changes the identity of the team to a certain extent, but it has been interesting to watch how successful the team has been without having a tremendous amount of the ball. Yeah. And I think that's been the identity for some time now, to be honest, Steve, particularly in in this season, as you mentioned, some of the statistics there, um, no doubt, Adrian Heath would prefer to have more possession. As you quite rightly say, every coach would prefer more possession. But this team has been built in a certain way. This team likes to have little bursts of possession. And um, they like to be a counter-attacking team. They, they like to, um, especially over the last two years, have, have been much better at set pieces because of the, the artillery that they've acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the, the thing about it, Steve, is, is there's no good having 60% possession if you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I demonstrated basically. So correct. Look, I, I don't. As I said earlier on, look, I, I think every coach would prefer to have more possession, no doubt. But um, ultimately, I, I don't think it matters that much. That, that's just my opinion. I'm sure there are others that will will disagree, but I don't think it matters too much. I think it's it's what you do with the ball that really matters. And um, as I said, for a while now, we've been seeing Minnesota United having little spells and little bursts with with possession. Um, and, uh, you know, look, as I said, in, in, in this tournament, it's been no different. So um, I, I personally, as I said, I, I don't have much of an issue with it at all. And, and um, you know, statistically right now, Minnesota is still remaining unbeaten. So I, I don't think it's necessarily been a bad thing. Right. All right. Let's move on to San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, so now that everyone uh, can't love uh, Columbus Crew, it's time for uh, the Loons to face the next darlings of the MLS's back tournament, the San Jose Earthquakes, which uh, a team that all pundits love because uh, Matias Almeida plays a super aggressive man-marking scheme that is different than what anybody else plays. Um, and the Quakes were also very hot in the in the group stage, um, hotter against a much tougher, you know, slate than the crew had, I think. Uh, you know, and then their 5-2 win over RSL included four second-half goals. Um, did a, they did a great job there. That said... Minnesota has done a terrific job of handling the Quakes over the team's last several meetings, going 3-0-0 over the last two years with 11 goals to San Jose's three. Basically, sort of feel like if anybody can handle the Quakes, it might just be the Loons. Um, history would suggest that, yes. Um, this is a very intriguing matchup, Steve, because we have spoken at length, I, I feel like, <sighs> hundreds of times about... Matias Almeida and his system and the way that he operates. Uh, and it's um, it seems as though now it, it's coming to fruition more than more than ever. Um, 11 goals in, in four games during this tournament for them is not a bad return at all. Um, I thought against RSL, they, they were very good going forwards. Um, haven't seen the numbers, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they dominated in possession. Um, and, and as I said earlier on, did something with it, which they did. Um, I, I think this is perhaps the most intriguing match of, of the tournament from a, a Minnesota United point of view so far, Steve, just because, um, as you mentioned, we, we know what Minnesota can do against the Quakes. They've done it um, for several years now. But but I think this right now is probably the best iteration of San Jose Earthquakes. Um, if memory serves me right, they only brought in one body in the off-season. Um, that was Osvaldo Alanis, the, the Mexican centre-back. Um, that would um, that would suggest, I, I know they brought in Christian Espinosa permanently as well, but in terms of a, a new fresh face, you know. Um, I uh, To me, that insinuates that Matias Almeida is happy with what he's got, and he's happy with the players that he that he has to, to play the way he wants to. I'm not entirely sure that's been the case in previous years. Um, and... He's obviously stuck with this roster who have had a year of familiarising themselves with the way that he wants to play. So I can understand him not wanting to, to change things up too much. Um, that's purely speculation, by the way, because I'm, I'm sure there must have been opportunities for them to bring in other players. But look, this is, as I said, that's my thought on that particular subject. Um, the, the biggest thing for me, the biggest change for them, Steve, that I noticed against RSL... Um, look, we all know what Jackson Ewell is. 
We all know what he can do. He's a fabulous deep-lying playmaker. Uh, and the boy from, from Bloomington, Minnesota, has, has caught many an eyeball over the course of the last two years or so. Judson, um, when on form, is uh, a wonderful holding midfielder uh, who um, is not shy of a tackle. Um, but the, the main difference, Steve, that I noticed against RSL, it was a, a really... Um, a really intriguing development and a poignant development was an individual that we've seen for so many years now play in several different positions, played another role uh, against RSL, and that was Magnus Eriksson. Magnus Eriksson has played on the right or the left of the three behind the forward. He's played in the 10 role. He's played as a centre forward. Um, I think even at one stage, he might have played out wide in a... a, um, in another formation that, that the earthquakes tried. Uh, this was under Bikishtada before um, before Almeida appeared on the scene. Um, but he played a new role. He, he played um, in a deep-lying playmaking role. Um, and his, his starting position is, is um, at least according to um, all the stuff that I have seen from a tactical point of view, his starting role is in the ten. But actually what he tends to do, and he did this very well against RSL, was he drops into this deep-lying playmaking role and had so much of the ball that in actual fact, San Jose um, and the way that they were playing were, was dictated through him having the ball at feet. So I think this is something that Minnesota United are going to have to really watch for um, for the game on Saturday. No doubt, as I said, Jackson Yule will, will have plenty of the ball. Um, but I think now he's, he's got... Um, a new partner in crime um, in Magnus Eriksson. So much like the game against Columbus Crew, when Nagby and Artur had plenty of the ball, I think once again, if Minnesota can stop the ball getting into the feet of Magnus Eriksson and Jackson Yule, um, and then stop the, the service that, that they will look to, to give the players ahead of them, I think they've got a very good chance of again advancing here, Steve. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Minnesota are again up with this 4-3-3 formation. Um, now, I, I, look, I, again, that's me purely speculating because we don't know what the situation is with Kevin Molino. We don't know if he's available, um, if the, the injury that he's got will keep him out again. And knowing Adrian like I do, he'll always want to play um, his way and uh, force other teams to adapt to the way that he plays. And clearly, playing a 4-2-3-1 against San Jose is effective. We saw it back in March when Minnesota thumped them 5-2. But it wouldn't surprise me because of the way that Ericsson has now adapted if they stayed with the 4-3-3 and, and continued with Hassani, Dotson, Gregish and Alonso in the centre of midfield. But um, as I said, I think, um, I, think, I, I think Ericsson and Yule and Judson will have plenty of the ball. I, I think there's, there's only so much you can do to stop that, especially when they're, when they're getting the ball in from the centre-half, from, from Alanis, and, and I'm assuming Guran Kashia will play. Um, but it, it's the, the service that, that they provide, which is the thing that they've really got to stop. And I think if the likes of Dotson uh, and Grigish pester and don't give them any time on the ball whatsoever, or as little as possible, um, that could be a really positive thing for Minnesota moving into this game. Yeah, I think the um, I think the injury. I mean, the injury questions are, are out there. Obviously, Molino is a question mark. I think Ramon Mentanier is a question mark um, at this point until we know more. Um, with with that injury, you know, I, I, I sort of wonder if there's a domino effect of if 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 Metanier can't go, 
you know, you, is it possible that you see Hassani at that right back position because that that fullback position is something he played? And then if Malinu can go, then you maybe you see a four two three one. If right. Hassani needs to play that right back position, who's going to play that third midfielder position? Um, you know, as far as right back, I mean. Marlon Harrison's come on twice, uh, I believe, to play right back late in games. He's obviously played that position for the Colorado Rapids um, and has he has sort of has more overall experience probably at that position than, than Dotson. Um, he's a more experienced player overall. Um, but, you know, is Adrian Heath comfortable with going with Harrison in that position for the whole game? Um, sort of a, a question mark. Uh, I think they're um, – Exactly what that, you know, I think, again, Adrian likes to keep people guessing. So I don't assume that we'll know that much before the game actually happens. Um, oh, San Jose had 60% possession against RSL, by the way. So, yes, they had more of the ball. Um, the other question I have with regards to that, and Metnir comes into this as well, is that um, some of Minnesota's best success against San Jose has come with center backs pushing into the attack. Because this is one of the things that the man marking scheme doesn't really prepare you for um if if your center backs push forward we saw Voxel go on a run where just nobody picks him up because he's not sort of a part of what you're trying to defend against um and that worked really well but that's also with you know Opara as one of those center backs who's a guy who's comfortable pushing forward and dropping back is aha like comfortable to the same degree and then if you're missing Metonier like do you feel comfortable having a substitute you know, right back and a substitute right center back in a position where you're going to launch some center backs forward. I feel like that could be an issue uh, for the team a little bit. Yeah, the man marking thing is interesting with the earthquakes. And we've seen in the past that the best way to get at them is having other players pull the earthquakes players out of position. I thought Ethan Finlay did an ever, ever so good job against them in the original matchup in March um, when he pulled the left back uh, away from his position and it allowed... Uh, Mitanier to have um, so much space um, moving forward. Um, and I- I'm interested to see actually, and, and look, so maybe this is an argument if he's fit for playing Molino, because Amaria is very good off the ball as well. He likes to play off the shoulder. And I wonder if 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 he um, would, would be any good at dragging players away, giving a little bit of space for Molino to operate in. Another good player who's very good at that as well, I've noticed in, in the glimpses that we've had of him, is Aaron Schoenfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which you could see that happening as well. Schoenfeld likes to, uh, for a big guy, he, he, he likes to, to play right across the, the back four and, and eventually the, the, some of the runs he makes, he ends up in a wide position. You know, he, he likes to drag a lot of players out of position. So this would be an interesting opportunity for him to play. In terms of right back, Steve, it's, it's an interesting one for Minnesota because um, Adrian very much likes to have the right back um, because it's Roma Mitanier. Um, involved in in the attacking unit. Um, I, I'm not suggesting he doesn't want him to defend, because he does, but um, we've seen over the course of the, the last year or so um, how Mitanier is used. So the question there is, is, is that better suited for Hassani Dotson or for Marlon Hairston? Um, I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> because I think both could play the, play the role quite admirably, actually. Um, and as you mentioned earlier on, if you know if it goes back to a four-two-three-one, that would make sense if Molino's available to slot him in the ten roll and go back to what we've been used to seeing. Um, but also now we, we saw because he came on for his Minnesota debut in the last game and did quite well. If Dodson does go to right back, Jacory Hayes can come in and do a very good job in the centre of midfield as well. So um, it, it, there are um, a slew of possibilities really for Minnesota. Again, this is if both Metinier and Molino aren't available. Because if they are, let's be honest, 
Adrian Heath will go with the tried and tested. There's no reason to change anything. Right. Um, but as I said, it, if, if we are um, doing this and speculating, I, I, I would not be surprised at all if, if we see a 4-3-3 again. Um, but the, the real question is, is, is if Mitsunier isn't able to go, are they more comfortable with, with Dotson going forward as a right back or with Hairston going forward? And, and, and this is the thing about Marlon Hairston as well. You quite rightly said, Steve, he, he's played right back for the Rapids. He's also played central midfield mm-hmm. uh, for the Rapids. Um, he, he's played in a, a 10 role in the past as well. He's played in, as a, a winger as well. I, I saw last season for the Dynamo, he played in, in a wide position from time to time as well. So um, this is why it's important to have these types of players like a Dotson and a Hairston in there because that they are the the absolute definition of utility players who can play yeah. several positions. So, um, Edward, Raheem Edwards also is one of those guys correct. who can play multiple positions. So. Correct, yeah. You know, I mean, Raheem Edwards is um, is a more than capable player of, of playing at left back and left wing. And I saw him play a number 10 for, for Montreal a couple of years ago as well. So, um, the good thing is, Steve, is that Minnesota have plenty of possibilities um, because not every roster in Major League Soccer can, can say that. So, uh, again, it's a credit to the players that were brought in. Um, you know, the, the starting eleven, whilst that hasn't changed too much, um, because Minnesota were, were were good last year, there was a need for for secondary bodies to be brought in to aid these exact situations. And um, as I, as I said, look, I think that the roster is as good as it's ever been for Minnesota since coming into Major League Soccer. Um, now I'm really intrigued because I honestly, perhaps for the first time. Um, working for this club, I can't think, I can't quite nail down what the lineup's going to be and what the personnel is going to be as well. And that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, at last, uh, my sort of existential question for this uh, portion uh, of, of the podcast. Uh, so Adrian Heath, obviously known as a sort of uh, a forward whisperer, you know, a guy who, who has done good with, with strikers and things like that. Looking at the success that, the, that Minnesota United has had against, say, like LAFC, uh, last year winning uh, in LAFC's building with the sort of, uh, you know, wrinkle uh, formation, wrinkle going with that 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, depending on how you want to think about it. Uh, frustrating San Jose, um, you know, like holding them to just three goals over the last three games as opposed to scoring 11 goals. And then really frustrating the crew. Is it possible that Adrian Heath is actually a defensive genius and not an <laughs> offensive genius? That's my question. Um, I, I, I think he would probably... Uh... First of all, he would thank you for the compliment, and I think he'd probably, uh, I think he'd probably laugh actually, because that's the first time he's ever been described as that. So, right. Um, I, I think he look. No doubt, Adrian knows what he's doing from a defensive point of view. Um, being as accomplished as he was in the UK as a centre forward and as a coach, um, you know, you, you don't get that far, you don't get to that level without knowing what you're what you're doing defensively. But I think actually, Steve, um, a lot of the credit has to go to to the assistant coaches here, and Ian Fuller and Sean McCauley. Um, I know Sean McCauley in particular, since arriving um, from Orlando City, and, and obviously, look, this is a successful assistant manager. He's, he's won MLS Cup with Portland Timbers, and um, in, in my opinion, this is another debate for another day, but should have really had the opportunity uh, to be the first team manager at Sheffield Wednesday back in the day. Um, he was the interim twice there, and um, uh, I... I in my opinion, should have been given a go. But anyway, as I said, that's another debate for another day. And I, I think um, every time I've watched training, Sean McCauley has been the one 
that has been working with with the defenders and, and, and on, on the defensive side of things, much like Mark Watson was uh, in in the past before mm-hmm. he took the technical director role. Um, so I think uh, credit where credit's due. I think I think Sean McCauley has um, has done a wonderful job organising the backline. I saw a couple of clips from training earlier today um, on on Thursday that, that again he was working uh, with the backline on a couple of different scenarios. Um, so I think credit where credit is due, to be honest, but this one probably goes to Sean McCauley um, under the stewardship of Adrian Heath, no doubt. Um, but I, I think, um, as I said, it also helps when you've got players in form as well. I think Michael Boxall is probably playing some of the best football he's ever played at the moment. Um, and, and having somebody like Aha come into the tournament in the form that he's in, that's not exactly a bad thing either. So um, credit where credit is due, Minnesota, I think right now, perhaps looking the most... Um, organised and, and solidified defensively um, more, more so than they ever have done before in MLS. Well, I won't, I won't get too attached to it. I don't want to get too high. I, I don't want to count the loons in any more than I want uh, them to be counted out. So, uh, <laughs> no, you watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for the 106th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, August 1st at 7 p.m as the Loons take on San Jose Earthquakes in the quarterfinals of the MLS's back tournament. You can watch that on ESPN2 and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. Follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. 